0: You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Youth and Young Adults Minister, Kirk McKenzie. This episode is rated PG for parental guidance. We begin this episode partway through Kirk's recap of our series so far. If you'd like to catch up yourself, we recommend reading the first two chapters of Ruth or listening to the two previous episodes of this podcast. Now, it was tougher for women in that time than it is now. You know, uh, there's still some disadvantages being a woman in our society, but things are, you know, gradually sort of improving, and it's a lot easier to be uh, a woman, and in particular a single woman, these days than perhaps it has been. In di- well, that it is in different parts of the world now, and that it has been in the, in the past. Um, that said, the main reason for this setup is not because women are weak and men are strong. Okay, there's some other reasons why this custom actually made sense. And one of them would be an economic reason. Right? Because land was attached to uh, the family and it followed, uh, for whatever reason, it followed, followed the men in the family. So the situation is, if you're a woman and you get married and then your husband dies, what's going to happen to the land? Now we think of land as like it's a bit of a status symbol, you know. Oh, I own a house, you know, so I've, I've reached this sort of middle class sort of thing. I don't know, but um, back then it was directly attached to your ability to avoid poverty, because most people grew their own food, uh, or you would grow your own food in order to, and you might sell some of it and keep some of it for yourself and so on. And so, if you don't have any land, you have no ability to to grow food and to provide for your family. And so it actually made sense. This custom actually ensures that the person who has the uh, the unfortunate situation of their their husband dying doesn't just get left to poverty and left to just sort of fend for themselves in the wild, sort of thing. So there's that sort of economic reason there. Another reason that we might feel uncomfortable about it, but people in Ruth's time wouldn't have, uh, is just the way we think about family. In our society. Okay, so if you talk to the average Aussie and said, "Is family important?", they would probably say, "Yes, family is important." But we just don't take it as seriously as a lot of other cultures do. I'll give you an example. Friend of mine, uh, white Aussie guy, getting married to another white Aussie guy, uh, Aussie Aussie person, guy. As in, I'm using guys can be used as like gender neutral these days. Anyway, but so two white Aussies getting married. And uh, they they got sort of generic white Aussie surnames. And so they didn't pick one or the other. They didn't hyphenate the name and put them together. They just made up a new one, new family name. And the main criteria that they picked for making up this new name was that they would be the first people who popped up in Google when you typed it in. That was it. So that's what they did, right? Um, and so, so clearly for those guys, carrying on the family name uh, was not a big, not a big deal. You know? But in other cultures, it is. It's a very big deal. And in this culture, it was your family's reputation in the past, in the present and into the future generations, was very, very important. And so this guardian redeemer custom helped to maintain that and helped to maintain the reputation and the strength of the family. And again, that's just not something we're used to. If anything, we're more used to this idea of gathered families. So if you think about um, stuff that Joss Whedon does, so this is Firefly, which was one of the TV shows he wrote. He directed Avengers, and he's done a lot of popular fiction that many of you will have seen. He loves this idea of gathered families, where they're not blood relatives. It's just sort of people who sort of fall into each other's lives, and they become family and refer to each other as family. Um, and I'm not criticising that. I think that's actually quite a nice, nice thing. But it's, it's just different. It's not... When we look at this story uh, from another part of the world a long time ago, uh, they would not have, have had this idea of the gathered family like we do today. Um, so there's some differences there which might make you feel uncomfortable. Uh, But at the same time, it's helpful to understand a guardian redeemer and what it's all about. So at the start of chapter 3, we now have Naomi's plan to get Boaz, that third character that I mentioned at the start, to act as guardian redeemer for Ruth. So Naomi wants him to play that role. He's part of the family, so he's sort of eligible. He fits the criteria. And so she hatches a plan to make that happen so please open your bibles to ruth chapter 3 we've got a page reference there 211 or um if you're looking for a bible reading app on your phone then we recommend that one uh, that on that link up there so ruth chapter 3 we're going to read the whole chapter One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, "'My daughter, I must find a home for you "'where you'll be well provided for.' Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the the threshing floor, winnowing, sort of separating the edible bit off from the inedible bit of the barley. "'Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. "'Then go down to the threshing floor,' but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. So he's just It's this intense part of the year, so he's just sleeping where he works because he's got to get up and keep working in the morning. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I'm your servant Ruth, she said. Now, they have met before, but remember, it's dark, so you can't just look at her and recognize her. So she said, I'm your servant Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than which he showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. uh, Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens." for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Okay, so the plan goes pretty well. There's one hitch, and that is that Boaz is not the closest relative to play the role of the guardian redeemer. There's another bloke uh, who is sort of first in line. But Boaz says, if he won't do it, I will. So this whole scheme that Naomi's sort of put together, uh, you know, with like waiting till it's night time and so on, works pretty well. Now, as we were reading that, uh, it would have been fair for you to go, um, so like, how sexy is this story meant to be? You know, like, what's, like, is this a threshing floor or a, like, threshing floor? You know, like, what's actually going on here? Like, what's, what's with the uncovering of the feet? Like, if you think about it, they wear robes, right? Like, this full thing. So when you're getting fully undressed, the first part to be exposed is your feet, and then it sort of goes up from there. So it's like, okay, what's going, is this, you know, and and I remember reading this for the first time and going, is this some sort of, like, ancient seduction technique? Like, what's actually happening in this story? Well, I did a bit of delving into the original language just to see, because it isn't clear when we read the English translation. And the answer is, it is a bit sexy. So it is meant, there is a bit of sexual tension in the story, uh, and, and it's okay, if you thought that, you don't have a dirty mind, okay, like, that's fine, like, it's actually there. Um, now, that said, we live in a, a very uh, sexualized culture, you know, we use sex to sell grilled chicken and home loans, right, so uh, <laughs> we're pretty used to it, just sort of getting our attention everywhere, and so, uh, probably, our mind's when we go, oh, it's sexy, then it jumps to sort of some more extreme things that are going on. So it's, it's a bit sexy, but not like, Whoa, just like, Whoa, you know? Okay, do you get the, get the point? Um, so that's sort, of, that's sort of what's going on there. What's more important is not the sexiness of it, but it's, it's the honour and respect with which the characters treat each other. Now, they've already been treating each other very respectfully in the second chapter, but they continue to do that in this much more... Uh, sexually charged situation that they find themselves in here. Um, and it's, it's quite refreshing, actually, uh, to have a story where this happens. And in particular, uh, the behaviour of Boaz in this situation, I, I think, is great. If we think about what's been happening in the news recently, uh, and the hashtag Me Too, which Tim mentioned last week, I think it's worth mentioning again. So the situation, this hashtag began because a film director called Harvey Weinstein uh, just... Uh, big powerful Hollywood guy just sexually harassed heaps and heaps of women misused his power to get sexual favours all over the place and so uh, he sort of got exposed and then more men of power got exposed and then the hashtag began which is women who had been sexually harassed by men uh, women who had been on the receiving end of men trying to misuse their power to use them put the hashtag #MeToo online in their various social media uh, forums and I know some of you did that and a lot of my friends were, were hashtagging that in different ways, so um, it, it, it's, it's a topical thing right now. And the reality is that that in, in our society, men often misuse their power or their authority or, or just sort of a, a relational di- dynamic to take sexual advantage of women. Now you might go, "Hang on, that can happen the other way as well." And yes, it can. Women can use their power as well. But statistically, it mostly happens. Uh, the other way around, with men taking advantage of women. And you might think, well, that's just like powerful Hollywood types, you know, they're famous people. Does this really happen, like, in the average situation? Um, My experience is it does. And I want to just read to you a a short, true story from a book called Raising Girls, by (sighs) an Aussie author called Steve Bidolph, that I think demonstrates how boys learn to do this sort of thing at quite a young age, Um, and, and that actually taking advantage of people... Uh, sexually, is sort of just ingrained in, in Aussie culture, particularly youth and young adults. So, halfway through Year 9, Casey was invited to a classmate's birthday party. The parents hosting the party had implied a somewhat higher level of supervision than they actually provided on the night. So the party went pretty much as it would if 40 or 50 kids of varying ages were left to a, in a house at night with lots of alcohol and no adults in sight. It was loud, chaotic and out of control. Casey found it very exciting, in particular because a boy she knew, Kieran, aged 17 and two years above her at school, was there. Casey and her friends had often admired Kieran at school with his good looks and cool demeanour, but tonight there was something different. He was noticing her. Then, amazingly, it got better still. He sat with her and they talked and had a few drinks. They talked and snuggled a little in the garden. She could hardly believe her luck. It was all she could manage to not take out her phone and text someone. After a while, Kieran stood up, took her by the hand and led her upstairs to one of the many bedrooms in this big fancy house, apparently devoid of adults. They had sex. It all went faster than Casey had imagined her first sexual experience would, and it was less tender too. Blurred by the alcohol, Casey's brain wasn't really working very well. She was aware, though, of the shift from the excited feeling of being special and the centre of Kieran's attention, the physical discomfort and a sense of being pushed about, invaded and not really noticed as a person. When it was over, which was quite soon, Kieran managed a kiss before straightening his clothes and leaving the room. When Casey got herself together and went out into the party, she felt unsure and shaky. Then she saw Kieran, standing with a group of friends, who all looked at her and smirked. She realized in an instant that he had been telling them of his conquest. Tears burned her face. She fled from the house and ended up in the garden sobbing. A friend tried to comfort her, but Casey wouldn't say what had happened. Um, I've been a youth minister for about a decade. Uh, I've heard plenty of stories like that, so this is not like a one-off sort of thing that happened to make its way into a book. In fact, I do find that generally, a lot of people's first sexual experience is a bit like that. And um, it's very common. And it's just this sort of culture that we have that it's kind of okay to use each other like that. You know, it's okay to sort of um, take advantage of those situations. Sort of, a th- I think it's a thing. I, think, I observe this. I don't think that's, that that... That's not super frowned on by our culture. What we need to be aware of when we, we read a story like this in the Bible is just what Boaz doesn't do. <laughs> he doesn't take advantage of Ruth. He had every opportunity to do it. Think about it. He's, he's effectively her boss. He's got authority over her in the workplace. It's dark. There's nobody else around. Nobody will know if anything happens. She's presenting herself to him. She's made herself very vulnerable by doing this. Um, she's even you know, spruced herself up. She, she smells nice. Um, he has every opportunity. She's a foreigner. You know. Nobody's going to care what happens to the moabite woman. Moabite's a scum anyway. You know? And I saw her begging the other day anyway. So nobody's going to stand up for, for this lady. He has every opportunity to take advantage of her, and he doesn't. And in fact... He goes out of his way to make sure people don't even have anything to gossip about. It's like They organize to make sure she goes home before the, light, the sun comes up so it's light enough to even see, that, see who it is. You know, he wants to protect her reputation and make sure nobody thinks a one-night stand happened or anything like that. I think it's a big challenge to all the blokes in the room to see what a positive example Boaz is here because of what he doesn't do and how he doesn't take advantage of the situation. And again, I think people would you know, would, would sometimes be critical of you for doing that. Be like, man, she, she was there, she was lying right next to you, she wanted it. Like, why didn't you go for it? Like, what are you, frigid? You know, like that's the sort of thing that would get said in some circles. And so we need to be better than that. And we need to follow this example that Boaz has um, given us here in the story. Um. Not only is he a good example, uh, I guess, in, in that sense of uh, honouring Ruth and, and treating her with respect, he's also a great example in the way he takes on the role of the guardian redeemer and the way he brings, uh, or promises at least, to bring redemption to her family. Now, redemption is a theme right throughout the Bible uh, and God is, is bringing redemption to his people all the time. So uh, have a look on the screen here at Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 so this is the part of israel's history where they're in slavery in egypt so god's people they've got all their freedom taken away from them the the egyptians are dominating them they're forcing them to work and then god says this to his people i am the lord and i will bring you out from under the yoke of the egyptians a yoke is basically if you're yoked to something you're chained to it you can't get away from it So I'm going to to free you from that. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of justice. So this is not just God flicking a switch and turning redemption on. This is him acting. This is him getting involved in the world, doing amazing things. If you know the story, he does all these miracles to ensure that his people are are redeemed. They are saved from their situation. They return to the freedom that they had lost. This is... Uh, this huge story of redemption in the the book of Exodus. And it is a story that is referred back to many times by the biblical writers when they go, remember what what God did in Egypt, remember he's a redeemer, remember this is what he's about. And so that's sort of the, the, the big example of redemption, but there's lots of small ones all the way through the Bible, including here in the book of Ruth, until we get to Jesus as the ultimate redeemer. You know, God goes to the effort of becoming a human being. A lot of religions don't like this about Christianity, that God, the great good God, would become sort of a flawed uh, human being like us. You know, we're, we're kind of, we can do good, but we do lots of evil as well. Why would God want to be like us? Um, but the reason God be, you know, sent Jesus and became a person in Jesus is because of redemption. You know, Jesus comes and he lives a life with no sin. He shows us that sin damages our relationship with God. Sin puts us in a kind of spiritual slavery, which means we can't have a relationship with God. It damages our relationship with each other. And so Jesus comes and shows us, shows us what a problem that is, uh, shows us the way to live, and then he takes our sin and he puts it on himself and he gets rid of it when he dies. He kills our sin when he dies and when he rises again. So that achieves our redemption from our sin. We're free from that. We're freed from that. It's no longer stopping us from having a relationship with God. We can, we can be free to know God's love because of the redemption that Jesus achieves that is the ultimate act of redemption that is the heart of what Christians believe and so uh, this story we have in in Ruth here is a small example of redemption it's not redemption from sin uh, this is redemption from poverty basically that the Ruth finds herself in um, but it is a good example to us of small acts of redemption. that that followers of God should try and bring into our lives as we follow the great Redeemer, the one who's redeemed us in the most important way. Um, I'm not saying that Boaz is Jesus in the story. So it's not like, you know, like in the line, the witch in the wardrobe, if you ever read that kid's book, where like Aslan's basically Jesus in that story. You know, there's so many connections to Jesus. I'm not saying Boaz is Jesus or he is God in the story. But I'm saying he's like Jesus because of this role of redeemer that he plays. He's not a perfect person. Boaz wouldn't have been sin-free. But he plays this role of redemption. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to take those opportunities that we get to bring redemption into the situations we're in. I just want to finish with um, a couple of comments about this passage and marriage. Marriage is a bit of a hot topic in our country at the moment. And also... Uh, this is basically a marriage proposal, what Ruth is doing here, the guardian redeemer thing. She's basically saying, hey, we need to get married and, uh, and you need to play that role of, of my husband. So um, what does this story teach us about marriage? What it doesn't do is tell you whether to vote yes or no on the survey. There's not enough detail in there for that, so if you're hoping for an answer, that's not going to happen. But a couple of things have stood out to me. First is that in this relationship between Ruth and Boaz, Character trumps all the other things that are going on. It's more important than romantic feelings. It's more important than physical attraction. Boas even says, like, thank you for choosing me instead of all these young hotties that, you know, you're around at the moment. Like, he's an older guy. Um, so that's not the most, you know, the attraction is not the most important thing. Um, and, and character, the respect that they have for each other, the honour they show for each other is really what draws these two together. And I would argue is what causes Naomi to hatch the plan in the first place, that Boaz is this honourable, trustworthy guy. So character is very important in this relationship. And again, I think this is quite countercultural. This is not exactly how relationship goes on TV. You know, usually it's about the spark isn't it like you know if two people are into each other there needs to be that special something going on you know and you're looking for that and you're looking for for the one who might be your soulmate or someone you click with people even talk about like you shouldn't marry someone unless you're sexually compatible like whatever that means <laughs> um you know this idea that like this is how it should go so so to, to say oh the person you should go out with or the person you should marry needs to have an amazing character i think that gets on the list but it's probably not the first thing that a lot of people think about uh, but for these guys it is and actually in other parts of the bible i'd argue that character is super important to romantic and marriage relationships um, the second thing i would say is uh, that their self-control in this sexy situation is is great you know they're in that the, they're in a sexual situation but they don't have sex and that they they save that till they get married and again, with every opportunity to do it, nobody would have known, uh, you know, the circumstances are right, but they decide not to do that. And, you know, can you imagine, like if, say if HBO or Channel 9 or Netflix picked up The Book of Ruth and I'm like, all right, we're going to write a mini-series based on this book, and we're going to write a script for it, what changes should we make to the script just to spice it up a little bit? What do, you th- do you think this scene that we've read today is going to finish with these guys fully clothed? I don't think so. There's going to be some nudity in that scene if, if, if we do it in modern culture, because we're just so sort of saturated with that sort of explicit content uh, in our mainstream media. Um, the idea that they'd be in this sexually charged situation and not give in to their desires uh, is very countercultural. but that's what we're called to do. Uh, that's what we're called to, uh, not to go, oh, ugh, ugh, yuck, sex, but to go, yeah, this is a sexy situation, but I'm going to exercise self-control in, in this. And, And hopefully, when when both people do it, it goes really well. Um, uh, Some of the youth leaders and I were up at a youth ministry conference recently, and Mark Sayes was speaking. He's a preacher here in Melbourne. And he shared uh, this quote with us. Well, he gave us this warning, and he said, "Uh, when When you've got a bit of power in a situation, you know, I mean, this can work for anyone, but particularly if you've got some sort of power or leadership or authority. Uh, could be official, could just be sort of implied. He said, someone will offer to fulfill your intimacy needs in ways that are outside God's plan. So someone will offer to fulfill your intimacy needs in ways that are outside God's plan. And he said to us, that's why your relationship with Jesus and your personal identity needs to be strong. Because when that happens, when somebody offers, you need to be able to have the, the strong identity as a person uh, and the strong self-control to be able to knock that back and to not take that on to take on that inappropriate um sexual relationship. Now this goes for people who are married or who are not, right? Um, because there's been there's been plenty of Christian leaders well not plenty, but there's been a number of Christian leaders who are married and, and still give in to this offer. So the self control here is really important and is again a great example to us as to how we can go about relationships today and again you might be criticized for that if this is something that you practice and you go i'm not going to have sex before i get married uh you you probably be teased by it uh, teased about it um i was <laughs> um and even if people don't know that that's your decision you know you'll get teased about it being a virgin's often just you know slung around as a, a like a uh you know like a, oh, not a criticism, what do you call it like a, a dirty, dirty it's a dirty word it's an insult um you know so uh but So that's why our relationship with God needs to be strong um, so that when we go, no, no, I need, to, I need to live differently to the way the world wants me to live or is pressuring me to live um, and I can do that because I have that strong relationship with Jesus that convinces me that just because the world's telling me to do something doesn't mean I have to do it. Again, we've got a good example here of these two, exercising self-control in a sexy situation. So I'm grateful to the example of Boaz and Ruth I think they are just good models for us to follow in the sense that they are people of great honour and great character. I think they also point us to God, the great Redeemer, uh, who sent Jesus and redeemed us from our sin, giving us freedom to have a relationship with him. And what I want to encourage you to do today is to make sure that redemption is a core part of your life. And I want to talk about this in two ways. First is, you may be in a situation where uh, your circumstances mean that somebody is exercising power over you in an abusive or inappropriate way and you're stuck in it and you need, you need freedom from that. And that's, that's what the church community is here for, to help each other in those situations. And the most important first step and the one that takes the most courage is to speak up and tell someone about it. So that's what I encourage you to do tonight. You've got people here who will be very willing to help you. If you are stuck in that situation where your freedom has been taken away by the power of another person, then I encourage you to speak up. Talk to someone today. If you're in a life group, talk to someone in your life group, your life group leader. If you're visiting tonight, you're not really sure, have a chat to someone you've seen up the front. We'll help you out. That's what church community needs to do, is help each other in those situations. That will be a hard thing to do. God wants this for you, though. We want it for you. We want you to be free from that nasty situation. The second sort of redemption is similar but different uh, uh, in in that we all need redemption from our sin. And some of you have that. You're walking with Jesus. You you experience that freedom, uh, and that's a good thing. And some of you probably don't. Some of you have probably not experienced that freedom of being in that relationship with Jesus, of having him remove your sins And so what I want to encourage you to do is to invite Jesus into your life in that redemptive way. It's good to learn about Jesus. It's good to know things about him. Um, But at some point, are you going to start that relationship with him? And it's not something you should delay. It's not something you should do later when I'm less busy or... know when I finish school or when I finish my course or some people often say like when I become a morally better person that's when I'll start a relationship with Jesus that's not how it works (laughs) if you're waiting to be morally better you'll be waiting the rest of your life the whole point of redemption is that no one here no one is morally worthy of God's love but because of the redeeming acts of Jesus we can receive that love so if you're delaying I just encourage you to not and to take that opportunity to start that relationship with Jesus tonight. Let me pray for us right now. Father God, thank you for the the book of Ruth. Thank you that in it we do have that good example. And I pray for all the the men in the room that we can respect and honour women in the way that Boaz uh, respected and honoured Ruth in that situation where he could easily have gone the other way. Yeah, may we be be men who are trustworthy and who speak the truth, and um, please give us the courage and the insight as to how to do that. Um, we also thank you for Ruth and her great example of faithfulness. Thank you that she's um, prepared to take that that risk in this story uh, to help out her family and to. Um, to be faithful to you and the leading that you are showing her. And may we be like her and Boaz in the way they they showed that self-control in that situation. Mostly, Lord, we thank you for the way this book points us to you and points us to this story of redemption that you've been doing forever. And for each of us here tonight, I pray that through the power of your Spirit, we would each experience your redemption right now and for anyone who is uh, right on the edge lord you know they're they're learning about you but they've just delayed for some reason i pray that you would help them have the courage and give them what they need to take that step into a full redemptive relationship with you we pray all this in jesus name amen thanks for joining us if you've got any questions about this podcast connect with us on our website stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm